Today we're wrapping up a series that we had started some 12, 13 weeks ago uh, called Christ Crucified. For about 12 weeks, all we did was look at the cross of Jesus and begin to unpack all that God accomplished for us through the death of Jesus Christ. So that idea of Jesus died for us began to take on much greater depth and much greater height and width for us as for 13 weeks we began to unpack and ask the question, what did God accomplish for us through the death of Jesus Christ? What happened when Christ died? Today we're wrapping that whole series up. Um, I pray and trust that it has been an encouragement to you as it has been to me. So I, I just want you to know that for me, these last 13 weeks have been very rich and very encouraging to my own soul in just considering the text that we've walked through and, and all that God did for us through the death of Jesus. It has convicted me of sin. It has encouraged me in faith, reminded me of the gospel, moved me to obedience in places where I was in disobedience. Right, Because that's important. We're not gathering just for information to fill up our heads with a lot of truth so that now we can say big words like propitiation or expiation. What we're doing is trying to have these big truths seep into our heads and move to our hearts for transformation so that we hear this word and apply it to our lives. And I, and I pray that that has been happening for you as well. And I want you to hear I've been really encouraged by you and, and by our brothers and sisters who gather here in how you've received God's word. For some of you, you are seeing the cross like you've never seen it before as we've taken it, like we've said, a crown jewel and turned it on its sides and considered its beauty in, in each of the things we've talked about. And, and some of you have seen the cross like you've never seen it before. And I am grateful to God for that. Others of you have known these truths and yet being reminded of them has not made it more stale or old, but just all the more sweet and all the more deep as you've considered all that God did for us through Christ crucified. So today what we want to do is we want to wrap the whole thing up, bring the, the series to a close by considering one more truth, right? So we want to say all that we've said by saying just one more thing today. Throughout these weeks, you can even just take a moment to remember, we've considered Christ crucified. We said that when Christ was crucified, it was for our atonement. And we started off with this idea that Jesus was led to the cross like a lamb would be led to its slaughter. His blood drained out like a sacrifice so that we could be atoned, brought at one minute, atoned to God. We said that on the cross, propitiation happened. That God rightly hated us because of our sin, because of our iniquity. And God poured out the full extent of His wrath on His Son, Jesus, so that He might pull out the full extent of His mercy on us. We talked through the idea that we were filthy, expiation. The idea that because of the sins we've committed and the sins committed against us, we were defiled and unclean and dirty and filthy as sin often makes us feel. And all of that stain that resides in our hearts, Jesus died for. That his blood washed us clean. That he was literally hung on a cross naked so that he could bear our shame and do away with it. We talked about the idea of ransom and redemption. The idea that we owed a debt we could not pay to God. But that in his blood, Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. We talked about the idea of being set free, that we were like slaves who had been shackled and yet our Redeemer came and set us free. 
We talked about the idea that Christ died to defeat our enemies, that Satan and sin and death were aligned against us. And when we were powerless to do anything about it, Christ the victor came and he punched Satan in the mouth, we said, and sent his teeth down his stomach and rose in triumph over the grave, our great victor. We said that all of this was to the glory of God, that Jesus didn't die to make much of you, but died so that you might enjoy making much of Jesus and doing so forever. We talked about justification, the idea that we were standing before God the judge, guilty in our sin, our crimes clear, and yet when guilty should have been the word that flooded the courtroom, God spoke a different word. We said from 1 Corinthians, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And this great exchange takes place at the cross. We bring our guilt and our sin. Jesus brings His innocence and righteousness. And we walk away innocent. And He walks away guilty. We even considered adoption. The idea that not only did He cleanse us, not only did He set us free, not only did He pay our debts, not only did He welcome us, but that He brought us home and made us His children so that now in Christ we have a new father and a new brother and a new family connected together in Christ. Last week we even said that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might be truly forgiven our enormous debt that we might be moved to become forgiving people who forgive the lesser debts of others. That even as we were shown enormous, impossible mercy, that we might become merciful people. Today, we want to end all of that by saying one more thing. And that is that when Christ was crucified, we were crucified with him. Every week for 12 weeks, we've said Christ crucified, Christ crucified, Christ crucified. And this week, we want to end by saying we were crucified with Christ. That the scriptures say that when Jesus died, by his grace, a J died. So the image I want you to even consider for yourself is when you see Jesus' arm stretched out and nailed, you who have trusted in Christ your arm is stretched out and nailed. And when you see his other arm stretched out and pinned to that tree, you who have trusted in Christ, your other arm is stretched out and pinned to that tree. And when you see his feet put in place and stapled against that cross, your feet were stapled to that cross. That when Jesus died, the scriptures say, we died with Christ. We were crucified with Christ. We were put to death with Christ. Romans 6 says it like this, We have been united with Him in a death like His. In Peter chapter 2, 24, Peter says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Or in the passage Blessy read for us in Galatians, Paul says, I have been, what? Crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we, we want to say, wait, wait, I thought Jesus died so that we might live. That is true. But I need you to hear today also, Jesus died so that you might die. 
When Christ was crucified, we were crucified, so that when Christ died, we died. And what we're going to do today is briefly just unpack what that means for us, and then we'll go out from there. Let me pray for our time, and then we'll consider this together. Father, I am completely convinced that my words in myself are completely impotent and powerless and useless, that on my own I cannot bring of any wisdom, I cannot create life, that they will at worst be useless and distracting and unwise. They will be at worst helpless and, and judging and condemning. But pitted against my words, your word, the scripture says, is powerful and active. And maybe it's because it's lined up against mine that I'm so aware that your word is different. In Genesis 1, your word is spoken out and light comes and the earth comes and creation comes. In John 11, your word goes out and a dead man is raised to life. In Isaiah 55, your word goes out and it does not return without accomplishing what you sent it for. In Hebrews 4, your word is pictured as being living and active, able to cut to the levels of our soul and spirit. So what we need desperately today is your word. I trust not in myself or what I could come up with. We trust in hearing from you that if you would speak even from your word, that if we cling as closely as we can to your word, then you can make life happen, spiritual life in our hearts. So I pray that you would do that. Your Holy Spirit would cause your word to go past our ears, through our mind, to our hearts, and that you might create as your word can. Speak to us now. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When the scriptures say that we died with Christ, I want to show, say to you three things happened. First, we died to the law. When Jesus died, we died with him and we died to the law. So if you go back to Galatians, the passage Blessy read for us, it's on page 973, 972, 973. Galatians chapter 2. We're looking especially at verses 15 to 21. I'll read it for you while you turn there. Listen. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Here's what Paul's saying. When we died with Jesus through his crucifixion, we died to the law. So Paul starts out like this in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So let me give you some of the context. Galatians is a letter that Paul writes to the churches that were planted, young baby churches, small churches like ours in Galatia. These guys were hearing the gospel. They're getting converted. They're putting their faith in Jesus. Everything is glorious and good. And then you have some Jewish converts who have come to faith in Christ who sort of creep in and they begin to teach, yes, yes, it's good that you have Jesus, but you need Jesus plus 
and then they fill in the blank. Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus the kosher rules, Jesus plus the law. If you're going to be justified, and we talked about that a few weeks, that's declared right by God, in a right relationship with God, you need Jesus plus the law. And so you've got Peter, this great apostle who hangs out with the Gentiles, hears and sees that they believe just like us. And yet when the Jews came who were keeping all the laws, he sort of steps back and he doesn't associate with them as freely. And so Paul has to say to him, what are you doing? And that's where we get this passage. He calls Peter out and then he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So you've got two categories in the world. In that day, you've got two categories. You've got either Jews or you've got Gentiles, right? So Jews are, you know, throughout the whole Old Testament, or if you know the scriptures, the people of God, the chosen people of God. They're the ones who get the Ten Commandments, the laws, the covenant, the promise. Abraham is their father. They've got all the blessing, all the benefit. The Gentiles are everyone else. The Greeks, the Chinese, the Indians, the Americans, everybody else who are outside of God's chosen people. They don't have laws. They don't have commandments. They've got no promises, no connection to Abraham. They're lost in the world. They're pagans. They're worshiping false gods. They're sacrificing their kids. They've got no circumcision, no mark on their body that they belong to God. They're outside. And yet what Paul is saying is, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And then what he's going to say is, but we're all in the same boat. You would imagine all this religious upbringing would have given them some benefit, but we're all in the same boat. Sort of like if we were to categorize today, we don't call people Jews and Gentiles, but we do know even here at at Seven Mile Road, many of us come from very different backgrounds. Some of us identify with the Jews because we get religion. We were, your mom gave birth to you into the Sunday school. You came out of the womb saying a memory verse. You knew the Bible. You knew commandments. You knew Christian songs, religion. All of that is the world you've lived in your whole life. But we've also got folks at Seven Mile Road that come from a very different background, from the background of other religions, or atheistic, or agnostic, or just totally outside of this world of Jesus, the Bible, religion. And what Paul is saying, religious folks and irreligious folks are in the same boat. Because no one is justified by works of the law. All are justified in the same way. Whether you came from religion or not, everybody comes in through faith in Christ. No one is justified by works of the law. In fact, he's so adamant about this, he'll say this three times in verse 16 itself. Look at verse 16. He'll say it generally. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works in the law. So, so we know that. That's generally true. He'll say it personally. Then he'll go, we, that's Peter, you and me. We also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. So he's saying to Peter, you and I, we, we're not Gentile sinners. And yet you and I didn't get justified by obeying the law, by our circumcision today, by our baptism, by some religious thing we did. We came in through faith in Christ. So it's generally true. It's personally true. We know this. And then he'll say, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So it's universally true. It's it's generally true. It's personally true. It's universally true. Nobody gets in. Nobody gets made right with God through the works of the law. Everybody who is going to be justified has to be justified by faith in Christ. Now, I need you to hear that that cuts against the grain 
of Paul's day, of Paul's culture, of Paul's worldview, of, of Paul's world. That goes in direct opposition to everything everyone in Paul's day believed. Because the thinking in Paul's day was, sure, sure, Jesus, plus something. Right? All of Galatians is basically battling this debate where you've got these people who say, yes, yes, we need Jesus, plus circumcision. Or, or we need Jesus plus, you know, make sure you don't eat at Red Lobster because we don't like shellfish. Or Jesus plus whatever is what really gets us in. And Paul is saying no one gets justified by works of the law. No one has pulled off obeying the law well enough to be justified. Just one. Jesus is the only one. Everyone else is who is going to get in has to get in by faith. They found a tomb of a a first century Jewish woman. This is what it read on her epitaph. So I want you to hear it because this is the thought of the day. It said, Here lies Regina. She will live again, return to the light again, for she can hope that she will rise to the life promised. So here lies Regina. She is going to inherit the light, the afterlife, the life that's promised. Why? This is what it says. This your piety has assured you, your chaste life, your love for your people, your observation of the law, for all these deeds, your hope for the future is assured. That's the thought of the first century. The, the thought of the world was, here lies Regina. She is assured that she's going to inherit the eternal life. Why? Because of her chaste life, her good deeds, her observance to the law, her love for her people, her deeds have assured her her future. And what Paul is saying is that is not what is to be written on the tombs of Christians. What he's saying is that is not what will be written on the tombs of those who believe. Because our tombs will say, here lies so and so. Because of Jesus' chasteness, because of Jesus' perfection, because of Jesus' love for his people, because of Jesus' observance of the law, despite all of this person's misdeeds, through grace, by faith, they will have the life eternal. Paul is saying our tombs read very different because no one is justified by works of the law. And I need you to hear this cuts against the grain of the first century, but it also cuts against the grain of our century and our day. Because this idea of I'm going to make it to God, I'm going to work hard enough, sweat hard enough, be holy enough, be good enough to get to God is very flattering to us. We don't like the idea that we're helpless with nothing to do but lean on God's grace. We want to work for this thing. And so it cuts against our day and our worldview and our religion today as well. I'll give you an example. This will be my last reference of Lost from this church, just so that you hear um, because I've been accused of leading people astray. Um, just as a, as a side to that, John had never seen Lost. In February, he started, and he caught up six years' worth of Lost. He has not talked to Shelley in three months, because all he does is, is watch Lost. So, so that I don't lead anyone astray, this will be the last reference. But if you watched the finale last week, millions and millions and millions and millions of Americans tuned in. And if you stayed up late enough for watching Jimmy Kimmel, which was a complete waste of my time, right? He had the entire cast on Lost. Out comes the first guy, which is uh, Matthew Fox, the guy who plays Jack Shepard. Very first sentence of the show, Jimmy Kimmel says, can I give you my theory? And then he says this sentence. He says, in all the religions in the world, Christianity being one of them, he said, life is a test, and the good people 
go to heaven or nirvana, so he's sort of confused between Buddhism and Christianity, but he said, all the good people go to heaven or nirvana, and all the people go to hell or nowhere. Millions and millions and millions of Americans tuned in, and that is the understanding of Christianity in our day. That Christianity is a faith where life is a test, and if you're good, you go to heaven, and if you're bad, you go to hell. Tell me that's not what you've believed for so long, or what you've heard. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that is not what Christianity is, because no one is justified by works of the law. Christianity is life where we have all failed, and Jesus alone was justified by his life. And all who put their faith in Jesus go to heaven, and everyone who does not stays in hell. Because no one is justified by works of the law. In fact, Paul is so adamant about this, he goes on to basically say, the law, I'm dead to the law. That's what he says. Look at verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. What's Paul saying? That whole way of reaching God through the law, I'm done with it. In fact, I'm dead to it. Through the law, I'm dead to the law so that I might live to God. That whole structure, that whole ladder of trying to climb to God through religion and good deeds, I'm, I've destroyed that ladder. In fact, that's what he says. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He says, I'm past this whole world of trying to get to God through the law. It doesn't work that way. That ladder is destroyed. And if I rebuild that ladder... I just proved that I'm still a sinner who hasn't gotten the gospel. Because the gospel is not about climbing a ladder of goodness to God. The gospel is that Jesus picked you up and brought you to God when you could not climb yourself. I am dead to the law, through the law. What Paul says is, what the law required is for me to be put to death. I have not kept the law, and so what the law required was my death. And then he says this, but Jesus died so that I died with Christ and I died to the law. So that now my relationship is not with the law, it's with Jesus. I died to the law. When Jesus died, we died to the law. Now if you're listening, that should trouble us a little bit because what does that mean? We have no obligations to obedience, no obligations to godliness, no obligations to obey what God says. Well, walk with me to the second part, which is we died with Jesus to the law, but we also died with Jesus to sin. That when Jesus died, we died, and we died to sin. Listen to what it says in Romans 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying two things happened when you put your faith in Christ. Whenever it is that you put your faith in Christ, two things happened. One is that you died with Christ and you rose with Christ. So that the crucifixion and the resurrection are not just historical events, 
but that your events, you died when Jesus died, and you rose when Jesus rose, and you died to sin. Romans 6, you, you can turn there or you can leave yourself in Galatians or go home and read Romans 6. The whole passage is you died with Christ to sin. So that means that when we died with Christ, the guilt of sin and the power of sin over us was broken. Hear that. Because we can get the guilt of sin part. We talk through justification. So we get in the last day, if we've trusted in Christ, God will declare us not guilty. But not only did Jesus' death do away the guilt of our sin, Jesus' dead death did away with the power of sin. We died to the dominion of sin over us. That sin no longer can master us, rule over us, reign over us, because we died to sin. We've been made alive in Christ. That's with a new heart, a new passion, new desires. We've died to sin. Hear Romans 6.1. This is how the chapter begins. Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? All right, here's the question. When we say we've died to the law, or we say that we've died to sin... When the law no longer has a hold over us, does that mean we just get to frolic in sin? That's sort of the question. If you read Galatians 2, the question everybody wants to ask Paul is, if you're saying we died to the law, then there's no more reason to obey. Everyone's just going to run around in sin. And it's that same background in Romans 6, because in chapters 1 through 5, Paul has talked about the gospel. So he keeps talking about the goodness of God in the gospel of Jesus. And what he says, basically at the end of verse 5, is where sin increases... Grace increases all the more. So the picture is, if you sin, grace is going to come on top. And if you sin again, grace is going to go on top. And you're never going to out-sin grace because grace is always going to come on top. It's always going to outbid you. If you go all in with sin, then the gospel says God's going to raise it on you. And he'll raise it with grace every time. You're never going to outbid God. And so the question that everybody asks in Romans 6 is, what then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace can increase? Do you get the logic? The thought is, if I'm going to sin and God's just going to keep pouring grace, why fight sin? Why not just sin and let grace keep coming? And Paul says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying, I'm so offended you would even ask that question. Jesus died for you. Why would you want to sin more? He's saying, wait, you don't get it. You died to sin. How are you going to still live in it? Not why would you want to do so, but, but you can't. You died to sin. You can't continue to live in it. What that means is that when Christ died, something really happened, which is that you died to sin. If I'm dead in the world, I can't live at the same time in the world. I'm dead to it. And if I've died to sin, Paul's saying, you can't continue living in it. You can't continue loving it. You don't swim in it like you once did. In fact, you hate sin because it's not who you are anymore. You've died to sin. That whole old way, that whole old life reeks to you because that's not who you are anymore. You died with Christ. You rose with Him. He put a new heart in you, new desires in you. You despise the things that you once enjoyed. Think of that. If you're a Christian... 
You despise the things that you once drank up and reveled in and loved and savored and enjoyed. You look back with regret or shame, and every time it sort of tries to creep back into your life, you hate it because we've died to sin. C.J. Mahaney, uh, uh, an author, says it like this. He says, it would be a foolish experiment, so don't try it. But he says, if a Christian who's really a Christian were to say to themselves, for the next six months, I'm just going to live in sin. I'm going to drink up sin. I'm going to dive headfirst into sin. I'm going to enjoy sin. He says it'd be foolish, but it'd be impossible. That if you're a Christian, you can't. Because the Holy Spirit would so prod you and so move you and so haunt you and so grieve your heart that you'd be broken about your sin and run back to Jesus Christ. Because you literally died to sin. You have a new master, a new Lord. You don't belong to that realm anymore. And it plagues you and pains you every time that old life tries to assert itself again. You have died to sin. So what does that mean for us? What are we to do? Well, the scriptures say what you're to do is you are to live out the reality that Jesus made possible. You're to live out the reality Jesus made possible. I'll give you an example. Maybe I've shared this before. If you study the Civil War, what you'll find is shortly after the war was fought, if you walked into the South and walked onto plantations, you would find African Americans still picking cotton many of them still working for their masters. And, and if you're a student of history, you would go, how come someone didn't walk onto the plantation, grab the slave by its shoulders, look them in the eye and say, what are you doing? Why are you still here? Don't you know someone died for you? Don't you know blood was shed for you? You're free. You're not under obligation to this master anymore. And it's like the scriptures want to grab us who have trusted in Christ. Hold us by the shoulders, look us in the eye and say, what are you doing here? Don't you know someone died for you? Don't you know someone shed their blood for you? You are not obligated to this master anymore. You've been set free. So walk in the freedom that Christ died to give to you. You've died to sin. You don't live in it any longer. This is why when you come to the New Testament, right, you'll read Paul saying something like, he does in Galatians, which is clothe yourself with Christ, or, or that through your baptism you've been clothed with Christ. And then he'll say in Romans, so clothe yourself with Christ. And you want to ask Paul, which is it? Have I been clothed with Christ, or am I to clothe myself with Christ? And Paul will say, yes, right? This is what Jesus made possible. You've been clothed with Christ, so live that out by clothing yourself with Christ. Or he'll say in one place, you've died to sin. And then in another place, he'll say, so put sin to death. And you go, wait, Paul, which is it? Have I died to sin or am I to put sin to death? Yes. Christ died so that your sin, you've died to it. But now you live by putting that sin to death. You have died to the law, but you've also died to sin. That doesn't mean we won't sin. It doesn't mean we won't struggle with sin, but it's just that. We'll struggle with sin. We'll fight our sin. We'll hate our sin. We'll war with our sin. We won't make peace with our sin. We won't sign a treaty with our sin. We won't live and love and drink and enjoy our sin. We hate it because it's not who we are anymore. When Jesus died, you died to the law. You died to sin. And one last one. 
we died to ourselves. We died to the law, we died to sin, we died to ourselves. When Christ was crucified, we were crucified. So that we're no longer under the law, we're now living by faith. And we're no longer under sin, now we're living a new life in righteousness in Christ. But we've also died to ourselves. That's what Paul said, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ, so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I won't spend much time on this, but you need to hear this. Christians, some, don't get the first part. And so you become legalistic. Instead of seeing Jesus set me free and now I respond in obedience, I'm trying to earn my way to Jesus through the law, you're in legalism. Some Christians get the first part, but you don't get the second part. And so Jesus died to set me free. I'm dead to sin. How can I live in it any longer? My life has to look different. Something real happened. But some of us don't get the third part, which is that when Christ died, you died. When Jesus Christ died, I died. So that means a J no longer gets to call the shots of this life. A J is no longer master of this life. A J is no longer Lord of this life. That when Christ died, by his grace, a J died. So that now the Ajay who lives, Christ lives in me. And I get to live out the life Christ wants to live in and through me. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great saint, has famously said. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the invitation. No one's a Christian who has not heard Jesus say to them, come and die. Right? What's Jesus' metaphor of discipleship? He says, whoever would follow after me must deny himself and what? Invite me into his heart. Or allow me to walk alongside him. Or let me help him. That's not what he says. Whoever would follow me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Right? And I need you to hear that phrase, take up your cross, not like a 21st century American, Hear it like you would in the first century. Because when Jesus said, take up your cross, that is not the shiny gold thing at the end of your necklace. That is not the pretty sweet thing. When they heard that, they're literally hearing Jesus say, if you're going to follow me, my way is the way of the gas chamber. Or my way is the way of the electric chair. Or my way is the way of the lynching rope. Or the lethal injection. If you're going to come after me, you've got to come the way of execution. Because even as I died, all my disciples have to die. You die to yourself. That means that Jesus is now Lord. That means your money, your time, your body, your work, your family, how you do life, how you have sex, all of that is under the rule and reign of Jesus. That the shadow of Jesus' rule and reign has to cover every part of our life. That there can't be a single place in our lives where Jesus can't point and go, mine. And you say, that's right. Right? There is no place left in life where Jesus cannot point and say, mine. And you say, that's right. 
Because we died to ourselves. We died to the law. We died to sin. And we died to ourselves. So that now with Paul we go, I was crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And to all who follow that way, there is for you unending grace, unending mercy, as Jesus will help you live out the life he's called you to live. Thankfully for us, as we close, here's what I want you to hear. Jesus died, and when he died, we died with him. But that's not where Jesus' story ends, right? Because Jesus rose. And the scriptures don't just leave you dead. The scriptures say, and when he rose, you rose. So hear God's word, because they're better than man's word. Ephesians 2 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ. And then it says, By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated in the heavenly places with Christ. So what's Ephesians 2? You were dead, but God raised you up in Christ and seated you with Christ. Colossians 2, you were dead in your trespasses, but God raised you from the dead, and God made you alive with Christ. Galatians 2, and the life, so this is what Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So we've been brought to new life. Hear this. If you've placed your faith in Christ, God has given you a new heart. And He's made you a new creation. And you're not waiting for the day you're going to become a new creation when you feel holy enough. It's true right now. That you're new. You're not the old self. You're new. You died with Him. You rose with Him. And day by day, Jesus is faithful to make you look more and more like Himself. Maybe you're in a pit where you feel like, I just, I hate my sin. That's a good place. And fight that sin because Jesus is leading you out of that life and making you look more and more like himself. The book of Thessalonians, Paul ends with this. He who called you is faithful. He will sanctify you. That's He will make you look more and more like him. So we died to the law. We're not under the law. We're now living by faith. We died to sin. We're not living in sin anymore. We're living in righteousness. And we died to ourselves so that we don't rule and reign. We live through Christ. It's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would bring to our memory continually the things that we have covered over these weeks. Don't let it be any word from a sermon. We could forget all of that. But I pray the truth of what we've talked about. The idea that our filth was cleansed. The wrath of God removed. Our slavery set free. Our debt paid. Our guilt taken care of. Our shame dealt with. Our fatherlessness removed so that we're the children of God. Let all these wonderful truths be refreshed and preached to our own hearts over and over and over again and preached through us to our city over and over and over again. I pray for every man and woman here. I pray that today 
you would let those who have been trying to impress you through their works of the law abandon that effort. Let them tear down that ladder and let them instead come humbly to Jesus and say, I've got nothing that can get me to God but faith in you. To every man and woman here who's living in sin, would you show them Jesus Christ that they might repent and believe in Him and then see that they have died to sin and now live to Christ. Would we pray also for every man and woman here who is still calling the shots of their life, who is still living this life as if it were their own, who is living for themselves, who has an area of life that they will not surrender to you. Would you go to war with that place and conquer it even today? so that there would be no terrain left on our hearts that does not have the flag of Jesus flying over it. Answer our prayer better than we've prayed it. In Jesus' name, amen.